So it's dead movie season, so we've been looking at television. We transferred our website to TV only. <laughs> for the time being, at least, until movies pick up again. But for now, we've got lots of TV stuff to cover, and we brought in Tyler as well to help talk about it. You guys just made a TV list with Kevin, didn't you? Yeah, uh, Kevin led this thing, but uh, we contributed here. Uh, Kevin's seen every TV show. We've just seen some of the good ones. <laughs> Kev- Kevin's the TV uh, connoisseur of the website. <laughs> I think he's watched more in the last week than I've seen all year. So I, I definitely trust his opinions more than my own. Mm-hmm. And I'd-, I'd like to think of Tyler as Kevin's protege in that department, though. He watches quite a lot of TV, too. Yeah, I think you're you're big on like the prestige series as well. Like you get to the, all the important stuff that, that I kind of miss sometimes. Yeah, yeah, I do my best uh, to keep up with it, but uh, there's only so much time in the day. <laughs> yeah, I think between the three of us, we have a pretty good, well-rounded idea. I'm really proud of the list compared to last year where it was just Kevin and I. Of course, that's only two voices reflected, but the three of us, I think we have something really solid there. Yeah, for sure. We got some variety on there, so it looks good. You guys did a, a great job constructing that list, I had to say. It just went up on the site today. I was really excited to read it, uh, but I'd love to hear you guys' more insight behind it, kind of some of the picks you came to and whatnot. Yeah, um, I think uh, we had shared votes on a lot of them, but we also had these personal favorites that I'm really glad that we got in there. Well, yes. Yeah, so uh, our top three to five seem pretty much like consensus if i remember correctly between the three of us i think uh, we had um first of all watchmen was our show of the year which uh strong showing for hbo is our number one and two because we have succession after oh wow they really uh put out some great stuff for you guys then huh yeah uh, i think hbo is very well represented we had euphoria also from hbo and uh, chernobyl so uh, they're, they're very dominant this year I mean, I don't think that HBO kind of dominating the prestige TV landscape is really, like, anything new. That's kind of... No. That's, that's what they thing. do, man. I, yeah. I just think it's interesting on the year of their big series ending that we found, what, like, four or five different ones that aren't Game of Thrones that we could put in there. Yes. I thought that was fascinating. Yes, they redeemed themselves, which was nice to see. <laughs> it's It sounds like everyone's beef with Game of Thrones is not HBO-related, though. Like, it, no. it, it wasn't the, uh, you know, the distributor's fault for once. I was super happy we could have uh, Sam Esmail's uh, uh, Mr. Robot in there as well, which is a, a shared passion for you and Kevin, at least. I haven't seen much. Yeah, I mean, anytime, like... Uh... Well, I mean, TV, like, turns over so quickly these days. Even Netflix is going more in that direction now, where, like, they'll get a couple seasons and be, like, in and out. So anytime you stick with a show for more than a few years, um, and it's still high quality uh, as it finishes up, it's, like, very meaningful, you know? And we decided on Mindhunter right before that was announced that that show was canned. So Right. uh, It's not... Not necessarily canned, it's like the actors are let out of their contracts and Fincher's going to go make this uh, Citizen Kane movie and maybe he'll come back, but uh, everyone's out of contracts now. And we also have Netflix with The Dark Crystal, which was like a like a midsummer drop, so I was very happy that we remembered it, even. 
Do you, I don't remember, Calvin, did you finish watching Dark Crystal? I know we talked about oh, it. I did. Okay, yeah. we talked about it in the podcast, and I was like, oh, I'm going to get to it soon. And I absolutely didn't. I totally dropped the ball. <laughs> I have a huge adoration for the show, which is weird because I really dislike the movie, kind of. Yeah, that I, that was the consensus we were kind of on. I watched it right before we were, we were about to talk about the series, and I think that totally <laughs> dissuaded me. I'm like, ugh, I don't know if I have, I, I have the motivation anymore. I should have just watched the show, I shouldn't have even bothered with the movie. <laughs> I'd say if anyone hasn't seen either, just go right to the show. Uh, my daughter's really uh, affectionate toward this style of uh, puppetry, so it's been fun for her. She always wants it on if she sees it on the slider there. Yeah, I'll also give a shout-out to uh, Amazon with Fleabag from uh, oh, yeah. Phoebe Waller-Bridge. We got that at number five here. I genuinely adored uh, the second season of that. Um, don't know I if she's going to come back to it, but she's got some other stuff planned with like HBO. So, yeah, we're all very excited to see what uh, she's going to be. Such a big name, like the next decade, I feel like is Waller Bridge's decade. And uh, I was surprised that we didn't have Marvelous Miss Maisel, which was like the show I've been highlighting the last two years. Uh, this one was like about her going and entertaining like army troops at the beginning, and I just didn't click with it the whole season. I I kept watching and being like, this is good comedy, but. Uh, When's that drop where I'm super into this? One of these days I'm going to get around to that show. Um, but one thing that uh, hurts that show on these lists is just that it comes out so late. Uh, it's a yeah. December show. A lot of people already have their uh, lists set and whatnot. Which... I, I just think it's just a sign of so much quality this year. I know uh, Kevin had pet projects too with uh, Euphoria and Perpetual Grace. Mm-hmm. And uh, For All Mankind a little bit, which I loved on Apple TV. Yeah, it yeah. seems just generally that uh, 2019 was a really great year for both film and television, uh, kind of a pickup from the previous year, from 2018, in both departments there. I'm so pumped about this year for TV, too. I've, I'm, I guess we could talk a little bit about, uh, again, HBO coming out really hot in just the opening of the year. Yeah, uh, the new Hope. Um, oh, man. <laughs> you, you enjoying that? I sh- did I show you guys like the intro to that show? It's so electronic and really hot and sexy. It feels like a strip <laughs> club, but in the Vatican. <laughs> it's such a cool deal. <laughs> uh, and that's the Paolo Sorrentino show, and he did, a, what was it called? The Young Pope, which uh, I paid a little bit of attention to, but this seems really cool. So I might stick with this. Yeah. Um, uh, they also we- got, um, what's the Stephen King one? Uh, the Outsider. Uh, the Outsider. Yeah. Yeah, you're watching that? Uh, it seemed like a fine procedural. I know Kevin's on that beat already. Uh, sometimes I let Kevin have his beats. <laughs> uh, and then Curb Your Enthusiasm is back, which uh, I'm enjoying uh, thoroughly. We recorded our best Twin Geek cast ever last week. Uh, sorry to say it was completely washed, so uh, nobody will ever know whether or not it was. Or yeah, in, in that <laughs> in that intro there, you talked to me a little bit about Curb, because uh, despite being such a Seinfeld fan, I've not yet to sit down and watch Curb. We both really love it, right, Tyler? Uh, it, it's, I mean... it's fantastic. I, it's not uh, I, in its prime, obviously. I think, uh, yeah. you know, maybe ten years ago. Actually, probably more, yeah, more say... than that. Um, yeah, I'd say like 10 years ago, you'd be like season three, you'd be getting somewhere around there. Well, no, because, uh, I mean, the show started in like 2000, I think. Oh, wow, yeah. Jesus. <laughs> 20 years ago. But 20 there's years. been a lot of off years, so. Yeah. 
Yeah. I appreciate that pace it's going at, too. It's not a typical show at all, and I love that they give him the space to kind of come back when he has new ideas. It doesn't feel like they've run it into the ground. Right. Larry David's one of those guys where HBO's smart to just say, <laughs> you do whatever you want to do. Um, I was shocked at first when I saw the memes cir- circulating about the Trump hat, <laughs> but then it really worked in that episode. Yeah. Um, he said it's just a way to... Uh, well, yeah, that Phil Rosenthal, who's always going on shows talking about how he has a, um, everyone loves Raymond in foreign countries, and he's constantly pressing Larry David at the party, so he figures out a way to give him the big goodbye at these parties, and uh, kind of leave him with the final farewell, and he really just wants to escape this guy, so he wears the Trump hat to a meeting. Yeah, it's his people repellent. <laughs> that's such a good gimmick for that hat finally a good use for it right. without it right. being like a without changing the words well uh it's not all tv nowadays right guys we got a little bit of movies calvin you just started going to uh the first festival of the year right uh yeah so slam dance festival because uh well we don't have a budget for uh sundance and <laughs> we're not going to get a patreon for people to pay for me to go watch movies <laughs> so uh I, I don't know. S- Slamdance is pretty cool. It's unusual for me. It's a lot of documentaries and a lot of smaller pictures that aren't really vying for like those big budget buyouts at a festival. So a fun place for them to circulate and get early attention. And then they'll probably get those buyouts later on in the year once they're refined and edited. Yeah, that might be the coolest name for a festival out there. Oh, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Slamdance is good. Yeah. yeah I I, I think it's just a fun festival, fun to get into like these indie creators, and uh, I'm having a blast with some of this. Uh, I'll have Love Mobile in a few days after this comes out up on the site, um, which is about German uh, prostitutes who stay by the roadside and wait for their Johns to come by, and uh, uh, one of them ends up getting murdered, and they're like, should we leave oh. our profession? And it's it's very difficult and fun stuff. Uh, it's dark. It's interesting, though, it sounds yeah. like. <laughs> Yeah, very interesting. I love, like, a quirky premise, like sitting in this little caravan that's just strung with Christmas lights uh, and prostitutes. I love, like, those hard edges on a theme. That's fun for me. Uh, we also have one that takes place in a mall in Alabama. <laughs> uh, that's, uh, what's it called, Jasper Mall. It's uh, I think I, in my review I refer to this guy exclusively as a camo mullet. Yes, I just uh, looked at that piece today. Uh, <laughs> very entertaining. And you told me a little bit. You gave me a little bit of live commentary as you were watching it, I recall. And it was fun. I feel like my, <laughs> I feel like my warmth for him is growing as I think about the doc a little bit. I, because A, I appreciate camo in any setting. And B, I really want to grow a mullet. I think it's coming back in 2020. Oof, I don't know about that. Did I, did I ever tell you that I had a mullet growing up? You did? Yeah, I did. Uh, there's, If you find any young pictures of me, uh, because I was bizarrely sentimentally attached to my hair <laughs> as a kid, I refused to cut it. So it ran, yeah. ran all the way down my back. like I had, I had a, And it formed into a rat tail at the bottom. Which, yeah, uh, I had that too. Yeah. Oh, wow. Very 90s. I named my... <laughs> I named my dog after my favorite mullet of all time, Yaramir Yager, so I'm a big uh, fan of them. <laughs> well, at least someone's out there still fighting for the mullets. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta fight for mullet rights. Um, was there anything else? Uh, nothing really else of note. I have a horror movie in there and a few other docs, but uh, nothing quite to highlight. Uh, we do- one called Shoot to Marry that I'm going to talk to the 
uh, filmmakers, see if there's anything to cover, but I'm not sure yet. It'd be nice if we do. Well, I do believe we still have a little bit of uh, 2019 movie catch-up as well. Tyler, you have a little bit of insight to provide on uh, Little Women now, right? Yeah, I was finally uh, able to catch up with Little Women over the weekend. It was a very uh, nice and pleasant uh, middle-of-the-winter watch. Uh, I was surprised to see there's like some Christmas elements in it, which was kind of cool. Um, uh, it's probably tied in for the release as well, kind of give right. it that more spirit. Makes yeah, sense. It came it's out. a warm, it's a really warm, wintery movie, I think, too. It is. Uh, yeah, it's just a joy to watch, uh, spend time with all those characters that, jeez, uh, how old is that story now? Like, almost at least At least a decade old. old. No. Did you say decade? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's fun because well, there have been, uh, I think, nine or ten other adaptations, and this feels like a primary one, which is so rare once you get to that number. Mm-hmm. Well, from my understanding, so I, I've been listening to some podcasts on it today, and uh, mm. from my understanding, uh, Gerwig deviates from the original text uh, a little bit oh, yeah. more than usual. I feel like it's very punk rock and like third wave feminist, not quite like what you'd get like from the 1800s. So. I think it's very special and new. Yeah. Too. Um, and then I would just highlight uh, Florence Pugh, I think, is my favorite performance in the film for sure. She, like, really stands out. You um, think... Let's just call her, like, favorite performance. Like, not even in a <laughs> film. Just say Florence Pugh as our art. <laughs> Do you the think she's got star. a chance... She's up for the Oscar. You guys think she's going to take that one? I'd give her my Oscar. Um, I'm not saying that like an innuendo. I'm it just sounded like saying. it. You phrased it like an innuendo. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Florence Pugh kind of sounds like an innuendo too. You couldn't. But... You couldn't have made it sound more sexual if you tried, Calvin. <laughs> <laughs> I'd give her my Oscar. Her my Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. She. She would probably be my pick there, but uh, it seems like people are ready to give it to Laura Dern for Marriage Story. Yeah. Which, I don't know, I mean, I love Laura Dern, but personally, like, that's not one of her best performances, like, at all. I heard people totally. liked her more in Little Women, coincidentally enough. Yeah, <laughs> uh, she's very funny. She she gives that one line at the table that I can never remember, but uh, she has a few real stingers in there that are really good. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was a good one. Uh, and then I saw 1917 a couple days before that. And uh, definitely an experience, but I don't know if uh, I would be ready to give it um, best picture or anything like that personally. Well, that seems to be no, the talk uh, everywhere I look on on film Twitter and such. It seems like everyone's calling for uh, 1917 to be the big winner. But I don't know. I'm also I come in the same boat with you there, Tyler. Where I'm like, mm, it doesn't sound like it's the the film the Academy is going to give the recognition to. I think we're digging a really deep trench around it, though, because we just got through the PGAs, the DGAs, and the Golden Globes, and they all went to it. So was that a pun? I mean, those three combined are very predictive. Did you do that yeah. on purpose? So I'm a little worried. Did you Did you make that trench pun on purpose? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I didn't even catch that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he's always trying to sneak those things in here, but I don't let him, I don't let him get away with it. Yeah. No, I have to be called out on my bad behavior. <laughs> All right, well, uh, Um, do we have anything else uh, new movie-wise to talk about? uh, Did you want to talk about your experience after Little Women or move move forward? Um, Yeah, I'll just say that uh, 
when I was walking out of the theater, you know, kind of on cloud nine, um, having really enjoyed that movie, um, I got a text from one of my friends um, about the news about Kobe Bryant, and so just want to send condolences out that way to L.A. and uh, the families. A uh, very sad day yesterday uh, hearing about that. So mm-hmm. It's very hard just anytime someone has... Uh, well, he survived by four daughters, and that's you know that's insanely difficult. Yeah, it's uh, sad, especially for I think it's a kind of world-shaking death. We haven't seen one so so large and so tragic like that in a long, long time. And even though you know, primarily movie podcast, and you know the the cross section there isn't as great as you would think, it's still uh, worth acknowledging and taking us a moment there to realize how how great a loss that is. It was fun seeing around the league some of the enthusiasm, like uh, the Knicks doing like 24 seconds of silence and some really beautiful memories. Don't forget, he won an Oscar. He did. He did yeah, recently. Two years ago. Yeah, it was two years ago. He won for his. Uh, it was a short film, wasn't it? Was it a documentary yeah. short or a regular short? It was an animated short. That's best animated short yeah, for that's right. basketball, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. That was... uh, he also had like the Black Mamba short film a while ago, so he's done some cinematic. Cert- touching stuff, Certainly. not like a film. But. Yeah, well, not not stuff that usually enters our personal stratosphere, but, I mean, we all see this, and, of course, you know, Tyler being a big basketball fan, I'm sure this was a, a really tough, you know, break for you there. Yeah, I've, uh, I've spent a lot of time thinking about it and listening to different players and people in that sphere talk about him, and it's been tough, for sure. Probably, uh, like you said, it's one of the more notable celebrity deaths frankly of our lifetime yeah i would certainly Um, agree with that even as someone who didn't have too much of a personal connection to the sport or the you know uh kobe or anything like that it's it's uh, a monumental loss i think in our culture Mm -hmm. especially considering uh you know his age and uh that he's not like an old man so it's uh Oh, different story, and then when you factor in his daughter as well, it's yeah. There's so tragic. many factors, yeah, that make it really tragic, and you know, uh, the I don't know. It's just it's hard to to put into words in some ways. But we wanted to send out our condolences here on our our podcast, and you know, take a moment to recognize this uh, awful loss. We'll all miss you, Kobe. I mean, Kobe. Sometimes, uh, sometimes those people that we grow up with in sports feels like a loss in the family, and. Sometimes worse, because we don't have a direct way to process. Yeah. Well... Um, so, rest <laughs> in peace to Kobe. Um, I don't have a great way to transition out of this. No, this was this is probably a bad place to put that, but that's okay. Uh, awkward transition, go! Calvin, okay. uh, you, you do have one I, you more guys to talk like, about, right? <laughs> Do you guys like anime? Uh, um, sure, sure. No. Still, <laughs> you got that you framed me in that picture that one time you came down here standing in front of the anime yeah. section at movie madness so <laughs> That's y- true. you're gonna hold that against me say no nah, no see david does like anime there's a picture <laughs> i'll just replace the header for this article with that image <laughs> uh, <laughs> um so we have weathering with you from uh mikado shinkei we talked about last week in the deleted podcast uh, so but, uh, uh, you can go back in the ethos and find that if you want to hear more or you can't, but uh, <laughs> it's about a girl who, uh, she changes the weather, and this boys are run away. Uh, it has a lot of product advertisement in it, but um, I really enjoy the um, down-to-earth stuff that comes with that. Uh, I think it has a lot of gravity as well, and um, 
a lot of realized potential in the setting. Uh, there's a review on the site, but uh, I don't feel like going too in-depth again today. Right, well, we got the review to go over, but I do believe you said this is your favorite film of the year so far? Uh, no, not this one. That oh. would be, uh, that was another anime. Um, oh, okay, so you're just all over the anime right now. <laughs> That's a ride your wave, which was uh, another similar anime. Um, I mean, you can't blame me for mixing those up. You got the waves and the weather; like they're both water-based things that start with the same letter, and they're animes. Yeah. How am I supposed to they, tell the two apart? Animation's really going in on things like uh, weather and climate change, so I think it's a good trend. Uh, um, especially Frozen Two, there's like no enemy. The enemy is climate change. Do you think that's uh, so, you think that's related to anything? Like if if people are rallying around this one topic because it's of some importance or pertinence? I don't know. That this it feels weird that we would all gravitate towards I, that. I just think it's a gimmick. It'll probably end uh, next year yeah. when, when all the weather clears up over the summer. Right. We'll forget about it. <laughs> I'll just that say, is... too, uh, for Weathering With You, that director, um, Makoto Shinkai, uh, previous film, Your Name, Your Name, I loved. Yeah, that was really good, so I'll definitely be looking to check out this new one. Yeah, it made a ton of money in China and Japan. It went way, way over its budget. About as successful as an anime film could possibly be, so uh, you could just say it sold out all its screenings, and it did very well, and... I, I really like weathering with you, but uh, there's also a, there's also a new Richard Stanley movie, the first in 27 years this week. Oh, I, I didn't realize there was such a huge gap in his filmography yeah. there. <laughs> well, he was <laughs> he was doing what was it, the Isle of uh, Doctor Moreau, and then he was like fired off the project and just went into the jungle and found new life for himself. So <laughs> it's like a crazy thing. Huh. Um. There's a whole documentary about his directing of that project and all the absurd ideas that he wants, and it feels like someone reaching back for like an Apocalypse Now thing, uh, wanting more from right. the studios than they were willing to provide in like 1996. Well, not to mention any project you put Brando on is going to be a disaster in some oh, yeah. capacity. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is just so high-reaching, and then the, the product we got from, um, I think it was Frankenheimer. Yep. Uh, it didn't end up crediting him, and there's like a... I, I'd watch the doc more than I'd watch the end movie that came out of it. Um, I forget the name of the doc now, but uh, it's a good one. And look up, uh, yeah, um, Richard Stanley and the Isle of Dr. Monroe, and you'll find something good to watch. But uh, this one has Nick Cage doing Nick Cage stuff, which is what you want, I think. Yeah, I've, I've seen lots of advertisement for it recently. It seems like the big ticket film for the beginning of the year here, what everyone can get kind of excited about. Mm -hmm. um it's lifted neatly from hp lovecraft i feel like it does some interesting things i think it has that splashy pink poster that yeah it that really, really catches your eye it. yeah i think that makes a difference this time of year when movies feel so muted and they've just been shifted like out of prime spot from oscar season to have something so splashy and confident and i I want to revisit it already. I didn't give it a fair shake. I was so tired, honestly. You get, I couldn't review it. Did you get a screener? Um, no, I just I went to something for it, and I just oh. I was taking a nap during it. I don't feel good about my taste. <laughs> I, I was just curious how you were able to see it, because I was looking uh, around here, and there's only two theaters in all of Chicago showing it right now. 
Oh, well, yeah, um, I think we had one last week. But, T, you're gonna yeah, you're gonna uh, hate this, to to but they've been playing it here at the the Hollywood Theater <laughs> in Portland. I've seen screenings back for like early screenings in November. I saw for Colorado Space pop up. Wow. And uh, yeah, we've had it around occasionally, but uh, I just caught on with it. I, I want to give it one more shot. I, I think uh, it sounds like you should, especially since there's kind of a barren landscape right now of uh, interest in in movies. And uh, though this one seems a little. Uh, uh, kind of mixed in the reception-wise there. I wouldn't say exactly controversial, so it's not right up your alley exactly, but, you know, it's it's kind of in there where you might have an interesting take on it. I think most people just find it passable, which isn't what I want. Right. <laughs> uh, New York Times had a good uh, headline in their review. It was like, if you want to see Nick Cage shooting lasers out of his eyes, then you already know what you think. Oh, so, well, that, yeah, uh, that sounds interesting. <laughs> all right, I'm buying my ticket yeah. right now. <laughs> right? <laughs> Yeah, if you guys have it in your area, I, I maybe get to it. I don't know. Can I want to. I want to revisit my thoughts. Yeah, well, I'm. I look forward to hearing your thoughts again. Maybe in the coming weeks here, we'll hear you talk about it again on the podcast. I think so. Uh, maybe I'll officially review it once I have a clear it, image of it. Maybe if Tyler doesn't get to it first. Oh, if you do, <laughs> please. Yeah, I'll take the reins if if need be. Mm-hmm. Um. So this time of year, it's nearing Groundhog Day. It is. It's uh, coming up. Uh, this this podcast will go up just a couple of days after Groundhog Day, I believe. Or is it before? I can't remember what the I, year is like. It's right every before. Every day is the same to me. This is going up on the 31st, so two days before Groundhog Day. And last year, well, we talked about Groundhog Day. And we almost, almost talked about Groundhog Day again. Cause Groundhog why, Day. Yeah. Why wouldn't you? <laughs> but... But uh, it turns out that it's 2020, and uh, there's a small collection of films that are set in the year 2020, and this Groundhog Day-themed film happens to be one of them, and Calvin just couldn't resist talking about another one from his favorite <laughs> genre. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I like anything that kind of loops, uh, does a time loop, and this one is a lot more video gamey. but uh, what do we have here? Well, it's, it's probably the closest approximation to a video game movie that we've seen that still manages to be good yeah can't think of anything else i um, guess i guess unless we're talking like wreck it ralph but this one feels like a video game i guess is the difference yeah it doesn't it's not like a literal video game but the way that the time loops and um i guess we should say the name of the movie yeah. edge of tomorrow it's, or is it live die repeat <laughs> no, I'm okay with that more than you guys are. I think no, it's it's stupid. It's a it's a it was a dumb marketing gimmick to try and sell more. <laughs> that's that's how much they were committed to the B movie premise here. Is that they literally tried reselling it under another title, like you do with other shitty B movies. <laughs> I've reviewed a lot of things that afterwards they changed their titles to get different reviews on like Amazon. It's really kind of a bugbear with reviewing, but yeah, I. This is a different case, I think. I don't know why they did it here, because this was pretty successful. They were they were losing money. Nah, this thing bombed, actually. Uh, it only really found life afterwards on video, which is funny enough when my uh, fiancé discovered it and she showed it to me. Like, it was in the same year. Like, both this and John Wick kind of flew under the radar in 2014. Didn't do so yeah. well. But on video, they really found life. And everyone's like, oh, God, check out this awesome action movie for, for both of them there. And th- that's how I happened to find both of them as well. Because my fiancé had watched them on TV, I think. 
This one's based on the light novel All You Need Is Kill, I I believe it's called. Yep, it's an, I, I haven't read any light novels from Japan. Uh, I, I have gone over that one. I went over that one with my fiancé. Uh, oh, you did? Yeah, more manga, so more connection to, to Japanese stuff here, of course. And that one is uh, different. It's a lot different, but still has a lot of the same ideas. For one thing, uh, we're not dealing with middle-aged Tom Cruise here. It's a typical... Japanese character stuff where it's like, oh yeah, the full metal bitch is actually a fourteen-year-old who snuck her way into the army. Of course, it <laughs> would be. <laughs> and the the main guy, uh, Keiji, is his name in the the manga. He's like eighteen, as opposed to mm. whatever the hell age Tom Cruise is now. I can't tell. You know, he looks the same. I had a I had a weird watch experience with this where my bathroom ceiling fell in while I was watching. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> I I had maintenance over while I was watching, and then again today, why I had to rewatch it kind of to get some of the plot. But you I, know that's appropriate. I'll let you guys do a lot of it. I, I think it's appropriate that you had to rewatch the film to get a sense live, of it. There. Live, die, rewatch. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my experience, which is a really flawed way to watch a movie, by the way. Oh yeah, I mean you shouldn't break up watches in in general, uh, and certainly not for ceiling maintenance emergencies yeah the water was just pouring out of it but it's all patched up now that's good i just didn't get a chance to really sit with it and take it in as like one complete unit of a movie <laughs> oh tyler did you have a good viewing experience last uh this time rewatching it yeah yeah yes uh my ceilings are intact <laughs> uh <laughs> No maintenance was needed. Uh, it was very enjoyable. Uh, but I do have to say, uh, you were talking earlier about the inspiration for this film. Uh, I'm going to blow some minds on this podcast and say that I have not seen Groundhog Day. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> that is a little bit. Well, that's that's worth adding to your list for sure. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know if you guys already knew that, but yeah. Uh, well, more importantly, have you seen Happy Death Day? No, no, Calvin, no. I have not. Look, it's... I'm, Calvin, I'm actually here to talk about Happy Death Day again. No, the, look, the franchise is dead, and thus any worthwhile conversation to be had about it is also dead, and we should just move on. I feel like since the very first episode, you've been trying to just sell this. <laughs> this entire podcast just feels like a front for you trying to convince people to watch ha Happy Death Day, and honestly, it's it's sickening at this point. I'm tired of it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have been pushing it pretty hard. <laughs> I do want to see that, uh, both of those. You should. Yeah, you should. <laughs> yeah. They're great movies. <laughs> I think I I think I, I wanted to start a cult for it, and I, I got like a faint buzz on Twitter that there's going to be a cult forming around, especially Jessica Roth's performance last year, and then it just didn't happen after like March. <laughs> you, sh you should have made like a Stan account for it, that specifically, and, and you could have. I did. Did you like a specific a Happy Death Day, you know, you know promote, promo account or something? It's called the Twingy Kiss. <laughs> well, there you go. Your marketing's all off. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, that's the that's start of my problem. I really enjoyed this movie back in 2014, though. I think I did catch it in theater. Yeah, same with me. Um, I, I like weird Tom Cruise vehicles that are like B Tom Cruise movies for action. Yeah, this is a, a non-typical one. I, I kind of 
I think I phrased this in our description here, in that it's it's atypical for a Tom Cruise movie because he's not really capable in it, and it's the whole point, is that yeah. he sucks at what he's doing in the movie at first, which is the opposite yeah. of a Tom Cruise movie. He really does have that anime thing, like the downtrodden guy who, you know, may be down on his luck and maybe isn't up to this. Well, I mean, I'll give some context on that situation in my eyes, is that... Uh, this was kind of like the start of the Tom Cruise quote-unquote renaissance in my mind. Um, for this decade, like, before Edge of Tomorrow, um, I guess uh, there was Mission Impossible, Ghost Protocol, which I loved. Mm-hmm. Um, but aside from Mission Impossible, it was, you know, kind of uh, patchy there for Tom Cruise for a while, it seemed like. Um, it seemed like he was trying to like kickstart like the Jack Reacher thing, and it the same wasn't thing. quite working in a new series. Well, Jack it's Reacher like, was pretty well received, I thought. Right. Well, this uh, also has a tie with Jack Reacher and everything else here. Is that really the the Tom Cruise Renaissance or Renaissance, as I like to call it, uh, <laughs> <laughs> is all tied to his partnership with uh, Christopher McQuarrie. Right. Yeah. And so that's everything he's really been doing. All the Mission Impossible films lately, even the new Top Gun that was written, you know, that's coming out by uh, Christopher McQuarrie, as well as Edge of Tomorrow here has screenplay by him. So them two are separate. Or they can't, you know, they're they're attached to the hip there. And that's why we've gotten so much of this similar kind of film. This is really what Tom Cruise has decided what he wants to do. And he excels at it, I think. It's perfect, uh, him, like, leaning into that, like, old, like, bum, not, like, totally bumbling fool, but, like, a little bit. He's um, arrogant, it's, it's and, the and, arrogance of his character, I think, that gives him that bumbling quality. And playing mm-hmm. off Emily Blunt, she's, like, the badass, and mm-hmm. that, that dynamic just works really well. Yeah. She gets to play that so well here. Uh, mm-hmm. I'll, definitely above all, I think it's the... The strong charisma and uh, interplay between the characters that really keeps uh, Edge of Tomorrow from becoming too repetitive or samey throughout. Like, if you want to look at the film from just kind of an objective standpoint, it's kind of a structural mess. Uh, yeah. A lot of the film is it's like as, mu- as much montage as a Rocky film is how a lot of stuff yeah. is told through. And, uh, you know, we'll get to the ending, but it's not really an ending. Again, what really keeps up is that it's got a lot of fun characters, the the gimmick works really well, the design aspects of the film I think are really great as well, the mech suits in particular are uh, just uh, really inventive and interesting, I think. The design's really good for all those mechs, and it feels lifted out of an anime. I I like the tone of the editing as well, how it, how it pieces things together, and you don't loop back on a lot of the mundanity that you would in like happy death day or groundhog day or anything like that there is a little bit of uh, confusion early on because it's uh you you do the loops and it loops them back to the beginning of the day but you go straight from meeting the j squad to the the assault on the ground and then after he breaks out of that cycle there's suddenly more to that day after meeting j squad that we weren't given information to prior so there's a little bit of uh <laughs> confusing uh, there in a bit in the yeah. the structure like i said of the story but otherwise it's it's pretty fine and again you know the, the editing is fun i think where the film really shines is when it plays with the gimmick and uh has some comedy thrown into it i think it's got a really great sense of comedy and self-awareness that makes the film uh not too serious 
Yeah, I'd agree. Th definitely those comedic moments, like, make the film. And uh, see seeing it in the theater, uh, at that time, I was with a buddy of mine, actually, and we had a great time with this movie. Like, we, I don't think we expected to love it as much as we did. But, uh, and I remember him, he, at the time, uh, he was, like, not a Tom Cruise fan at all. And we both left the movie, and we were like, that was freaking awesome. We couldn't believe it. it it's highly entertaining. Yeah, I, it. It, I think it hits on that because of the comedic tone, the charisma, and the fun action. It all makes for just a really good, fun, inventive blockbuster and the kind of thing you want to see more of. I appreciate that the the looping mechanism is like a respawn in a video game, almost literally. And the way that action is set up is kind of like an excuse for action in the way a video game is. I like also in the looping mechanism, often when he dies, he's, it's kind of funny, like, she just shoots him in the head over and over again. Yeah, that's what yeah. I was talking about with the, the comedy, that's the thing I think that really, the, the glue of the film there is the, the comic and the self-awareness of it aspect. My favorite comic moment, I think, of the film is that there's, after like 10 or 20 or however many resets, he finally catches up with uh, Emily Blunt on the beach, and he's explaining yeah. the situation to her while, like just firing and killing all of the mimics around him without even looking or anything. And it's this perfect encapsulation of how the film is totally aware of the kind of ridiculous nature of it. Yeah, it really has, like, a confidence, too, with, with that uh, energy and uh, the comedy. Uh, two moments come to mind for me with that would be when he's, like, going through the motions of uh, stuff he's already done and... It's like the music's like pumping up, like all right, he's gonna do it now, and then he'll like roll under a car to make oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> to make the move and just get crushed by the car, and then it just cuts right back to that moment again, and it's like oh you you get you got it this uh, time right back into the moment, you know. Um, another time he does that, I think, is um, when he's like just running across like a field. And the music's pumping up, and all of a sudden, boom, like some, some huge like plane takes him out or something. And then it cuts right back to that moment again, and he fixes it. And it's mm -hmm. really smart with that type of stuff. And for, for anyone who played a video game like that before, you definitely know that feeling. And, you know, I think there's a, a couple instances where it's like he's not doing it 100% right. He still messes up at one point where he would have got it before or whatnot. And you, and you know that feeling, especially playing you know, games and such. It does replicate that feeling. Uh, I think, like, no, no other movie has, really, who's trying to do the same thing there. They really uh, latch onto that mechanic and execute it in a great way. I think it understands that, like, video games have, like, combat patterns and these ways that where the action is elevated in certain parts. And, yeah, I think it understands, like, the pacing of that pretty well. Yeah. I think it's only till later on, once things get a bit more, like plot and explanation heavy and more dramatic focused that it starts to lose all the great momentum it has built up in the first half the first half i think is unequivocally the best part of the film and the second half is where things get bogged down a little too much yeah i'd agree um i mean to a certain point the plot becomes pretty ridiculous yeah um i, I mean <laughs> i was still having fun with it but of course, yeah. And we could talk about the end later, I guess. But uh, like I think you said before, um, I didn't like the choices made at the end necessarily. But 
Yeah, well, there's a lot that, that kind of leads up to it that puts things into a corner. Uh, I think if you take a step back, anytime the, the film asks you to think about the mechanics of how the time resetting thing works, it becomes a problem. Uh, I guess for our immediate example with uh, Groundhog Day, uh, there's a really good device they use there, a couple things. They trap Phil in the town of Punxsutawney so he can't leave. And they also introduce the mechanic of the day resetting at uh, uh, 6 a.m. every time. When 6 a.m. rolls around, the day resets uh, automatically, which is not the same mechanic they set up in this film. So I think you're led to believe that the days could continue on, and that may very well have happened with uh, Emily Blunt's character, where she just kept going through. I don't know. They don't explain it terribly well as to how you induce the resetting. That's I guess that's the other big thing I'll introduce is, did you guys ever wonder... How Emily Blunt knew she lost her power? I didn't think I really gave it any thought. <laughs> Not this much, certainly. Well, because how, that's yeah, she's how aware. She lost her power, right? Because she had the same resetting mechanic at one point, and then she said she lost it at one point after she got her blood transfusion. But how how do you know that you've lost the power for the day to reset when you die if you haven't died? Didn't Tom Cruise, I believe he said something like, I could at, at one feel point, it. Yeah, at one point they give it this throw-off line at the end where it's like, oh, I can feel it, it's gone. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah. That, that makes perfect sense. I understand exactly how that works. Thanks, Tom. <laughs> well, I mean... I think that's the other video gamey thing, is it's just an excuse for cool things to happen. I mean, it doesn't have, like, a scientific explanation. No, it's just it's one of those things where once you start to think about it, the whole concept breaks apart. And this one's better than some other examples, like uh, Looper came out in the same time period, and that one's a whole mm-hmm. jumbled mess of not making any fucking sense with its time travel mechanics. But this one, this one makes sense up enough to where you don't have to worry about it so much, and you can just roll with it. One thing I do think that was smart is that they do eventually take the time travel mechanic away from Tom Cruise's character, so the finale has some actual tension to it. Like, there's stakes to be had there. So, it's not just, you know, oh, whatever if he dies. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that was a good choice. Um, but, I don't know, still, something about that climax was, it just seemed a little off to me. Well, there, the there's stakes. a lot. Yeah. Uh, one thing I'll say is that the climax is really ugly, like in comparison to yeah. everything else, like yeah. because they choose to make it this night thing, and the setting itself is just so much of the same dark color. You can't see anything really. It's it's badly colored, uh, just overall. And not that the other part of the film, like the beginning part on the beach, is is ugly as well, but it's ugly with purpose because it's basically just aping the D Day invasion sequence from Saving Private Ryan. Uh, which is funny because that's like every video game, right? Like, uh, from the point that Spielberg got involved with uh, Medal of Honor and they started creating D-Day mm-hmm. to that series becoming Call of Duty eventually from that team, it was like every game became D-Day. Uh, and just in general, our culture has a fascination and a fixation on the invasion of Germany in World War Two. That is the thing we go and it's to. It's funny because because uh, it's funny because like the plot here is like aliens are invading Germany, right? Right. Oh, it is. Yeah, they're like, they're literally they're invading right. France is where their base is at, and they're, it's literally what thing. Even the operation they have in the beginning, they call it Operation Downfall, which was a planned attack on the Japanese uh, had the uh, the uh, the nuclear bombs not been uh, 
had not worked and caused the surrender there. So they take, like, they basically just rip straight World War II for this, and they copy that. Uh, th- there's a lot of imitation going on here, not only just from Groundhog Day, but they steal a lot of the ideas from, like, Aliens and the idea of the mechs and the team dynamic there. They even stole Bill Paxton from the film so he could show up here and give it a little bit more credence. <laughs> and he's oh, great. I wanted to bring up Bill Paxton. Yeah, he's fantastic in this. Yeah, that's it's fun. he's he's a lot of fun, and uh, maybe that's part of why the second half isn't as good either. Is that there's no Bill Paxton in the second half, and he is he's so much fun in the movie, and he's really having a great job. I love that line where he's like, "Are you an American?" He's like, "No, sir, I'm from Kentucky." <laughs> <laughs> Just seeing the confusion the first... on his face in some of those scenes is hilarious. The first forty are really good, but then once you get used to the mechanics of it, I I think it kind of plods along for a long time. Yeah, that's that's the issue again, and, and that's generally going to be the issue with these kind of films, which rely on a repetitive, uh, you know, gimmick. There is that you got to find some way to shake things up, and I don't think uh, Edge of Tomorrow finds quite the right thing to shake things up, and it and it leans more into the dramatic and emotional side of the character dynamic there between. Tom Cruise and uh, Emily Blunt than it does the comedic, you know, uh, referential stuff and the gag work that they do in the first half that's super successful. You can't, obviously, you can't just keep doing that bit over and over again, but you got to do something more tonally in that direction, I think, if you want to maintain the fun, breezy sci fi action film that you had going there for a while. I think it definitely runs out of things for a two-hour runtime. Yeah, an hour and a half would definitely be much more fitting. Uh, but they they had to, they wanted to go big on the plot, it seems, and they go with the whole uh, hive mind hiding out in the the Louvre, which is a weird location to put your finale. I think. Yeah. Yeah. It was. Uh, then- <laughs> I don't know. It's just and what what bugs me so much is just that last line there. Uh, she says, "What do you want?" And then we have Tom Cruise smirking, and then right to music. It's not an ending. It's it's such a cop out. I think Christopher McQuarrie just ran out of ideas. It's like, ah, oh, fuck it. I don't know what to do. Uh, it, you know, it's, it's a reset so, movie. <laughs> I did. I like that like last note to go on, out on. Like that just like put a smile on my face. But uh, I will agree that if if it were me, I was thinking one of the two of them had to die. Yeah. Uh, that's what I think should have happened for sure. I don't know which one, but uh, that would have felt more right. To right. Me. Something to feel the stakes of everything that happened. Yeah. Maybe. I think also just logistically, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Again, this is where the resetting mechanic doesn't entirely jive with me. How does it work with the hive mind? Does the hive, I mean, because the whole idea is that the hive mind is resetting because, and then it's, you know, re-strategizing and able to take over because it, you know, remembers everything from the day before. But it's it's still resetting even though it's dying, and it sends Tom Cruise back a ways, but not actually back, and and so he's. <laughs> How did they get out of there? How does this work? It's just, it's like, eh, don't think about it. Just, it's happy ending. You know, we meet up with everyone. But she doesn't remember him still, despite the fact that it's not technically reset. Like, y- you won? I don't know. It's right. it, it does not make any sense from a, a story standpoint. It just does really feel like you just kind of yada yada the ending there and gave up. Yeah, now they're working on a second one. Um, since I'm, both of them survived, and uh, frankly, I kind of wish that wasn't happening. I don't know if it's going to come through. It sounds like they've been working on it for a long time, and considering that this one did not 
have a lot of buzz initially. I mean, maybe it would have a John Wick effect where it would be way more successful the second time around, but I don't I don't think it would go over so well. And I think Tom Cruise is, is way more interested in doing a bit more things. This is not as deft death-defying work as he seems to be interested in lately. There's a lot more CG stuff. Okay. <laughs> Do you call it Edge of Tomorrow 2 or Live, Die, and Repeat again? That's that's what the that's what the tentative title is called. They're going off of the what? name change, right? Live, Die, oh, are? Repeat, and Repeat, <laughs> I think is what the sequel is called. Oh my god. Is the idea behind it. Which is dumb. It's all sorts of dumb. It's a bad title to begin with, but then you make it even worse with the sequel title there. Uh... I don't know, Edger of Tomorrow? Is that better? (laughs) Uh, So let me pose this question to you guys. Uh, Where does this rank in, like, the Tom Cruise action uh, move for you? I'd put it right around uh, War of the Worlds from about ten years earlier, which is a Spielberg I really like and think is underrated. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, Especially the alien design, the mimic design is very reminiscent of. Uh, oh yeah. Their, um, and they're both the. Well, I mean that one's a HG Wells story, of course, but uh, I don't, I don't know where I'm going with that. But uh, they both have like an alien context. Sci-fi. Yeah. They're very, very similar in that vein. I get that certainly. Uh, I see the similarities you bring there. This one's definitely more kind of rollicking, fun stuff. I put this more in the category with the Mission Impossible movies. I like this more than uh, De Palma's The Original Mission Impossible. It's a flawed film, but a lot of fun there. But uh, I just think there's there's something very fun and rewatchable about uh, Edge of Tomorrow. It just kind of makes it work, despite all of its flaws. It's nice to watch, rewatch, and repeat. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, going into it, I my memory of it was kind of that it was like one of the best action movies of the decade. And after rewatch, I don't think I'd say that anymore, though I still greatly like it. Um, but to me, it's definitely not on the same tier as like his most recent Mission Impossible movies, which I think are basically action masterpieces. I love, mm-hmm. especially yeah, Fallout. I, <laughs> Fallout's I, like the next level. As far as new action movies, I mean, it's no Fast Five, but uh, it's it's also not Fate of the Fast and Furious. To, to me, it recalls more of a 80s uh, sci-fi action films, you know, like I, I made the comparison to Aliens earlier, but it's also very Robocop in, in lots of ways, and it has that aesthetic about it, and so it calls back a lot of that to me, and I think that's what carves it out as a little bit more of a special. Uh, again, I, I, I'll agree with T here, I think, in that it's not one of the best action films. I do think it's one of the more creative or original action films, despite how much it also steals at the same time. Uh, it stands did out. You all see, did you all see Source Code? Yeah, well? yeah, I did. It's very similar to that. That's true, well, yeah. The last Source Code's good. I was not uh, a... Source Code. Was, so. was that Duncan Jones, I think? Yeah. It was, yeah. yeah. That's what I thought. His follow-up I might give the moon. edge to Source Code for like the Groundhog Day aesthetic get. Maybe, like, Run, Lola Run's my favorite Groundhog Day action film. But it's also one of my favorite films. Source Code's not an action movie, though. No, it's it's not. It's more thrilling. It looks marketed like an action film. I can see where someone would make the mistake. Um, I think, like, the on the Run, Lola Run front, I think it has better video game mechanics. Um, it's better how it installs them and how it has more of a flow that goes the whole movie. Mm-hmm. Um, 
on the happy death day to you, Fred. No, I'm just you <laughs> Are you guys looking forward to uh, returning to Top Gun this summer? Of course, yeah. Uh, yeah me too. I don't know. Maybe. Like, I guess if any of the more, you know, uh, blockbuster stuff, that could get me out. Uh, if only for the single purpose that I know they filmed chunks of it in my hometown at the naval base there. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, it's a funny story because friends told me that they saw Miles Teller at the Applebee's there. <laughs> because that's the only place to eat in that town. That's how much it's... Right. <laughs> Um, I I feel fine with it. It's that's like obvious propaganda that I feel like we all signed off on being okay. Yeah, well, I'm excited for more Kenny Loggins music. I think that's a nice benefit from this. Is that happening? Yeah, Kenny Loggins is writing new okay. songs for it. Then I'm I'm going. I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's. Am I not going to see this on a big screen and really go watch it at home? I I really doubt that. You should. I don't think it's. I think it's a different director though. I don't think Tony Scott's here for this, right? No. Who's doing this Rest one? Rest in peace. Uh, Kaczynski yeah. Oh, yeah, from Oblivion and um, Tron Legacy. Oblivion, another another weird thing that came around the time of uh, the movie we're talking I didn't, about. I never saw Oblivion. He also directed... Was that a cruise a, vehicle, too? He directed yeah. uh, Only the Brave. Did you guys see that? That was the firefighter action movie that they did with uh, Josh Brolin. Yeah, yeah I like that. Oh, I forgot yeah, about that. That was good. No, I didn't. I really like it as a recovery piece, which I feel like it's undervalued as I, only the brave. People really like Tron Legacy as well, don't they? There's like a cult. There yeah, is a cult I around Tron Legacy. <laughs> I think that movie's kind of overrated uh, in some circles. It's, it's there are people saying it's like the best Disney sequel. I don't know what they call it now. Oh God! Uh, no, it's visually it's stunning. It's the um, mm-hmm. tech work in that movie is really good, but uh, plot-wise, uh, yeah, I don't know. And Jeff was Kaczynski's only other time with Tom Cruise on uh, Oblivion. Then yeah. he hasn't done a whole lot. Yeah. No, it's just those three features, and then the new one coming up. Mm-hmm. Let's see what else on MDiv. He has a uh, Taco Bell Web <laughs> of Fries. Oh, that's a video short. Is it? A, is it a commercial or is it a short? It sounds more like a commercial. One minute, so I'm guessing commercial of some kind. Why is there a commercial credit? uh, We've got Emily Blunt coming up this year, too, and uh, that Quiet Place Quiet Place 2, yep. Yeah. With another Krasinski. Is that the same name? It's close enough. Quiet Place Repeat. Krasinski, Um, Kaczynski. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, John Kaczynski. A family man inquires why Taco Bell doesn't serve fries. But finds he's bitten off more than he could chew. Calvin, get off the Taco Bell. sinister big fries conspiracy threatens to destroy everything he holds dear. This is not a Taco... Starring Josh Dumahill and Taco Bell's $1 nacho fries. Wait, Josh Duhamel? Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Oh, he's he's cast as the hero of this one-minute ad. Look! Look! I don't want to hear any. I don't want to hear any more about Taco Bell unless they're paying us for ad space on here. Okay, so you go get a deal before you sh- open your mouth anymore. Right. <laughs> Are, I'm getting hungry over here. Yeah. What's uh, What's your favorite Taco Bell? <laughs> God damn it, Calvin! Can we just wrap up thoughts on Edge of Tomorrow instead, so we can go get some Taco Bell? How about that? I'm a big Taco Time guy, at least locally. They have those Mexi fries. They're pretty sweet. Hey, it's only Monday. We're saving the tacos for Tuesday. There you go. Oh, tacos right. tomorrow. Yeah. So, 
I guess that's a that's it for now. For all your taco <laughs> inquiry, you know, thoughts, come back next week. Edge of the taco tomorrow. <laughs> that would be a good sequel to um, to Kosinski's. Uh, what's this Taco Bell thing called? Uh, the Web of Fries. Why is it a web? I don't even understand. Or fries? What does that have to do with tacos? Oh, it's an advertisement for their one dollar nacho fries. Do you want me to read no, it? No, no, no. A family no. man inquires why no, Taco Bell doesn't. No, I regret that. saying anything. End of podcast. <laughs> the girls are home now. They're gonna so call the sequel shit. "Live Die Repeat." Live Moss. <laughs> <laughs>